Fish Tribes Unfiltered, episode 38 on the Fish on First Podcast Network. My name is Kevin Burrell, and today we are here with the usuals. We are here with Isaac Azut, my co-host, and Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Tribes. Isaac, what's up? First week of the season over. Um, there's some stuff to get into, so that's why we're here today. And kind of to preview what's next, because schedule doesn't get much easier after this trip in, in Queens for the, for the Marlins. Yeah, seven games in, and if you know before the season you told me that they would have won three of those first seven against the New York Mets and the Minnesota Twins, I would be you know pretty happy. So you got to be you know, a, a little bit relieved that they did come out of there just one game out of five hundred under five hundred. And yeah, the New York series we're recording this on April sixth. The game was postponed today, so the Mets series will begin tomorrow. Another tough series for Miami, like you mentioned. So it should be should be a fun weekend for sure. Eli, how we doing? It's, I'm doing good, Kevin. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for having me on again. I never am, cease to be amazed by the roller coaster that is the major league season. When, after that one and four start, all the comments I saw uh, in crises, thinking about the whole direction of the franchise, um, <laughs> thinking the absolute worst about blowing this up, about starting all over. And then <clears throat> when you have Sandy and you have Lazardo pitching on back to back days, that changes quite a bit, doesn't it? So then the tone shifted pretty dramatically in those two days. Such a long season. We are one full week into this this whole thing. But I think this is preferable to what we've seen in recent years. When the team falls out of contention and there is no fluctuations. That's the worst part. This is this is kind of what we go through the whole offseason for, is to reach this point where uh, every single game means something for the Marlins. Yep. And as always, subscribe on YouTube, follow us on the podcast network called now Fish on First. So if you were subscribed before, you're still subscribed. And uh, all right, let's get right to it. I think the first, I mean, as Isaac mentioned, playing two tough teams, Mets and, and the Twins will go into, I guess, each series very, very quickly. Not much to touch up on, except maybe some Sandy stuff and Luzardo. Obviously, we should talk about Solaire's hot start. Um, all right, the Mets, Miami lost uh Three out of the four games against the Mets, winning that Friday game where Jorge Soler hit a homer, Jazz hit a homer. Luzardo looked really good besides some some control issues. Um, Isaac, just your thoughts on that Mets series. I think you went to well, you went to most games. Yeah, I covered Thursday, the opener, and that was a tough one for Sandy. It was a tough series. The thing that stood out, obviously, I think we've you know really touched on it the entire week, is just the lack of command. From this starting rotation, you know, Sandy walked four, I believe it was. Luzardo walked four. Uh, Cabrera walked six. And that's just something that's mm-hmm. not going to be sustainable for a winning team. But, you know, it was great to see Sandy come back through a complete game shutout. It was great to see Luzardo have one of the better starts of his young career. But, yeah, I think they handled themselves pretty well against a very, very, very patient and tough New York team. And, yeah, they did get that one win in the Luzardo start on Friday night. But what did they need every single run they got? I think it was two runs that they scored. Jazz with the extra insurance run in the eighth. And right away, Puck gives up the home run to Alonzo in the ninth. So it was, a, it was a very fun win, that one for sure. And, yeah, they had a tough time against Senga on Saturday. And Sunday, Rodgers didn't really have his stuff to begin that start. So it was a tough series, but, you know, it could have been worse in my opinion. So we got to be happy with that outcome. And I guess if you just continue to spread on the positives, Miami's offense does get on base. We we saw games where Miami would have 10 hits, 7, 8 hits. Some At even points, they were out hitting New York in most of these games when you look at box scores, but they just couldn't score runs. And that's where we're going to, I guess, the first big negative of the season where Miami couldn't score a run for their lives. What was it? They were 
maybe two for something with runners in scoring position. And you guys may have this the stat right in front of you, but it was it was really disappointing how Miami, you know, th- this whole offseason built on let's get guys on base to score runs with let's rely on Avi Garcia and Jorge Soler to be those guys to, to get those runs in there. Avi Garcia just had his first hit on Sunday, I believe it was, that game against Senga. And then you have the game on the Sandy start where he hit a homer. So now is when he's kind of starting to get going, but not at the right time you needed it. And, you know, you don't know how long he's going to maybe sustain, I guess you could say, that, you know, the that amount of offense he produced in that in those, I guess, couple days. And then you have Soler, who, uh, who's basically at the top of the order almost. He, he was hitting second the other day, hit third, and he, he's looked pretty really good so far. Three homers. He's gotten a couple hits, a couple doubles. Looks good in right field where he feels more comfortable. So, nothing, you know, that's another good sign there, Garrett Cooper. I mean, this team's really just a lot of contact hitting, and they don't have one guy who could really drive in, I guess, what a rise begun, begun. I think he only scored twice in – the 16 hits he got in that opening series, if anyone wants to stand on that. Well, you touched on the runners in the scoring position thing. As of this recording, they, they're they hitting 186 with runners in scoring position this season. And more specifically, they are the very worst in the league at striking out in those situations. They're striking out 37% of the time with runners in the scoring position, where anything, that, that these are the prime opportunities to make you talk about the importance of clutch hits. If you can't get a clutch hit, it's also very important. The next best thing is just to make a productive out. And in those situations where a productive out is extremely valuable, they have very rarely even been doing that. One, two from Senga. And the bat goes flying. Guriel strikes out and Senga. It is such a perplexing difference from like what we thought we were getting from this team. That is what they focused on this offseason is recognizing the value of productive outs and of those timely of of singles as well. They put a lot of emphasis on getting as many singles onto this team as possible after having very obviously very few of those a year ago. It was anyway you slice it was a very bad offensive homestand for this team. They did just enough to get it done. They were, as you mentioned in the final game, almost single-handedly led by Jorge Soler in a three-run margin of victory. He drove in four of those runs on his home yeah. runs. And so that's important is, is having him be closer to the version of himself that he was expected to be when he signed as opposed to what he was last year. That's no doubt a very important development. It's hard to come up with an explanation other than hopefully just small sample size wackiness um, the longer this goes on, the more you have to question the new hitting philosophy that is in place. Philosophy under Brent Brown that these players seem so excited to be a part of. They keep pointing to the fact that he is closely involved, very hands-on with trying to get them to make adjustments and become the best version of themselves. How different that is from the hitting operation last year under Marcus Timms and James Rousen. That's a lot different, and it was supposed to be a lot better. And to this point, it has not been. <coughs> Over a larger sample, you think that this stuff would have to play out uh, and like back up everything that we were hearing and that we think we should be seeing on the field. Uh, to this point in the season, that is this is what's held them back to this point is that offense not producing at all uh, better 
than last year. Just a couple standout players in Solaire and Louis Arise. And other than that, um, a lot of players that are just mysteriously um, not just underperforming, but swinging and missing and way more than you think they should be. So it brings the question, you know, exactly what messaging they're getting from the team and why it is that this is now a bigger issue facing, to be honest, not amazing quality of pitching during that first homestand. Uh, they avoided Justin Verlander. And of course, with Edwin Diaz unavailable this entire year, he was not <laughs> there at the back end of the Mets bullpen during those close games. Um, the Twins, they have a relatively deep pitching staff, but not a whole lot of high upside guys that you really fear. Uh, they had a start against Kenta Maeda in his first game since 2021 after missing the entire all of last year. And aside from one mistake to Avi Garcia, he was dominant. Uh, yeah. it's, it's hard to come up with an explanation other than hopefully this is a low point for the offense and starts looking more like it was advertised to be. That's what go. Yeah, you hope you hope that things even out because at the moment they uh, they lead the major leagues in strikeouts with seventy four, and they have the lowest. They've scored the least, the fewest amount of runs in major league baseball. So you assume those things even out over the course of the season. I don't think Gene Segura is going to be tied for the lead and strikeouts on your team all year long. So it, <laughs> I, that does give you a little hope for optimism as we get into the later part of April. Yep. So the next, I guess, big point we ought to get into with these, this homestand, I guess, really was Sandy. We saw one, we saw two versions of Sandy Alcantara. We saw Sandy Alcantara very early season, Sandy against the Mets where he walked four, struck out, I believe two, Really couldn't go deep into the game and lost a lot of a lot of command and control in that final in that game against the Mets. Just really, the game went got out of his hands. There's no other way to say it. He really struggled. Uh, and then we saw the game against the Twins, where Sandy went all nine, shut out the Twins, only allowed three hits, one walk, struck out three, he or five. I'm sorry, he looked good. Sandy Alcantara looked like himself, and. I guess that's where I want to get to, Isaac. You're, do you think after seeing that shutout performance from Sandy, there's any chance he replicates 2022? And I'll start by saying I don't – and I put this out on Twitter. I don't think he will replicate 2022, but I think he'll do just enough in 2023 to still have his name at the top when you're mentioning Cy Young candidates. Ground ball up the middle. Birdie's got it. Steps on the bag. Throws to first. A double play. It's a Marlins win. And the first complete game of the year for last year's Cy Young Award winner on pitch number 100. Yeah, I would agree solely because of, you know, the amount of innings that, you know, this team can come to expect to receive from him. You know, he's just had an insane ability, you know, knock on wood to remain healthy his entire career. And yeah, it's been a tale of two starts. The New York start sort of was like a mid-2019 Sandy. And the start against the Twins was vintage Cy Young Sandy, where he was right away after the first inning, you knew there was an opportunity for him to go the complete game. And he just kept, you know, getting weak contact against him. He was getting the strikeouts when he needed. Eli didn't mention it. He did leave some pitches, you know, a little bit up for the Twins hitters to be, try to hit. And, you know, luckily they did it. But, yeah, it, it was great to see him bounce back from that uh, pretty bad start against New York, but even in that you know bad start, he only gave up three runs. He was one out away from a quality start. So even when he doesn't have his best stuff, he still kept one of the best offenses in baseball at bay for the most part. So it was great to see, and I believe his next one would be against Philadelphia, if I'm not 
mistaken. Yeah, it's game one against Philadelphia. Game one against Philly. And he usually has success against that team. So, yeah, to answer your question, there's a chance that he's top three in Cy Young Award voting again this year. I think it's very early to talk about it. But, yeah, he looked every bit as dominant as he did last year in that start against the Twins. Anything on your end, Eli? Or? The storyline for the near future is going to be how he meshes with this unique brand of defense that they're playing. <laughs> so in this most recent start, um, he was so excellent that he barely left any room for his defense to screw up. Even with a, a large number of fly balls, um, the, most of those were very routine plays, so not much mistakes to be made. He had his perfect game was broken up by an infield single to Gene Segura. Yeah. Doesn't go down as an error, but it was a play that we're accustomed to Marlins third baseman making, especially Brian Anderson. But uh, I think several <laughs> other guys um, would take a more aggressive route to that ball. And his release, it was more so his release on that throw, holding onto it an extra couple steps that made the difference in that play. Segura, even though Jazz is the one that gets a whole lot of attention for learning a new position. This is my third podcast today, actually. I've been a guest on two other podcasts, both of them from non-Marlins people. And what do you think they want to talk about? They want to talk about jazz going to center field and how weird that is. And we may be, be fatigued about talking about that, but that's the big storyline. What gets underneath is all these other guys playing out of position. And Segura, in my opinion, is like almost <coughs> as awkward at his new spot as jazz is in center field. Um, the throws are really inconsistent. And it's also the, just yeah. the little things like that in terms of learning the timing of the position and when he needs to get rid of the ball, things like that. He has not had a whole lot of reps at third base uh, during spring. And he's, he's now he's been there every day during regular season. And it's been mixed results. Sandy is so good that if that stuff only happens like once or twice in his starts, he can overcome it and not allow any additional runs a big part of his success last year is that they played very good defense behind him. And any way you look at it between his performance versus what his, his runs allowed versus what the ERA estimators would say, like last year he overperformed what was expected. And so the question is this year, how much does he regress in that department if they continue to play these guys in the positions that they're currently playing at? Yeah. And something I think I want to mention with Sandy, I think a big indicator in the stat line will definitely be, and I don't know if you guys agree, the FIP which is fielder-independent pitching, where you remove defense from the ERA. So it would be basically an ERA without the impact of the defense for the ones that aren't aware. It's just Sandy, Sandy only. And I think that's going to be – that's going to indicate a lot of what Sandy does on his own, and that's going to be a big factor in, you know, moving on to the season. Obviously, you have to feel some nerves when you're playing behind Sandy Alconci. And this is something that Brian De La Cruz, funny enough, mentioned last year. I think this was the game against the Dodgers where Sandy threw that that complete game where we spoke to De La Cruz and and he mentioned the nerves playing behind Sandy and you know you you feel something when you know this guy's going wants to go all nine wants to pitch basically a perfect game which he almost did and it, it's it's nerve-wracking so for Miami's defense to play how they did it's it's impressive yeah they definitely take a step back you know they won't admit it but of course Sandy on the left side of that infield they go from Miguel Rojas and Brian Anderson you know to uh, Joey Wendell, John Birdie at short, and Gene Segura, like Eli mentioned, a little bit awkward at third to begin the year. It's definitely a, a step down defensively, but so far they've been they, they've been fine. Is what I'll say. It's been fine. Yeah. One that, thing that I, I want to bring up and get your thoughts on is how we feel at this moment about Stallings still being Sandy's exclusive catcher, um, even though 
clearly they connect on a certain level when it comes to the pitch calling and that aspect of it. But the clear difference between Stallings and the alternative, Nick Fortes, is controlling the running game. Uh, Fortes, in the last game, had one of the most beautiful throws that we've seen on this young season to get a runner trying to steal, something that Stallings couldn't do in his dreams. Unfortunately, that's not part of his skill set. <laughs> So that is part of defense, even though we don't really pay attention to it. And Sandy, last year, he had a lot of trouble controlling the running game, because mm-hmm. partly because of him, but partly because he was paired with Stallings. And I, I think that's something that worth, is worth monitoring now that the rules have been changed in such a way that make base stealing even easier than before. People are stealing more often, and they're being successful more often. Uh, that is going to really challenge the current setup they have where it's exclusively Stallings catching Sandy. That continues to, base stealing continues to be a bigger part of the game than it was even last year. And I think Skip is going to have some interesting decisions to make about how exactly he splits the playing time between those two catchers and whether he's willing to break what was a very ironclad rule last year and be more flexible about who Sandy throws to. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, you'd think it's just sort of like the Jeff Mathis catching every single one of Jose's starts, but the difference was that Jeff Mathis was also the best defensive catcher on that on that squad. You know, you but Fortes, you're right. He's shown an incredible ability to be able to run to stop the running game for the other team, and that was an issue with Sandy last year. So I, I am curious to see if maybe in the second half of the year we do see our first Fortes Sandy battery on the start. Uh, maybe something to ask him at some point later on in the year. I I asked Nick Fortes his experience catching Sandy that spring training him because until then he had not caught Sandy. That was I believe he, he that was was that his first start back from or his final spring training start or was that the one right before the WBC where they went to Tampa and played the Rays and it Sandy was one struck of those. Huh? It was one of those. It was one of those, right? It was it was one of those final starts or one before the WBC where he caught Fort where Fortes caught Sandy and they looked pretty good, you know, they meshed well together and and I asked him and I don't have the quote right in front of me right now, but that's something I definitely have to look at. There's it's one of those it's like one of those audio interviews I did with Fortes a couple weeks back. But um I would like to see Fortes catch Sandy and maybe even catch the rest of their rotation because if he he's still catching Cueto, so I guess I mean Fortes is catching Stallings is catching Cueto still. We saw that little one-inning thing, so now we know who's Cueto's catcher. Um, I would like to see Fortes, though. I mean, he does it everywhere. He He's improved so much defensively. We saw we see the throws. Offensively, he's just the, the better overall player. Younger. I, I mean, I think I, you mentioned this, Isaac, and I've reiterated this a couple times. I wouldn't be surprised if Stallings gets DFA'd if he continues Whoa. to struggle. You said this too, Isaac. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't say it like that, but yeah. Uh, if, he struggles, if he struggles, yeah, I mean. yeah. Well, Quaid is not going to start for a while, so then it just becomes a, a thing of getting Stallings playing time. I don't. I think they respect Stallings so much as a player that they wouldn't just simply DFA. Maybe, but I, I doubt it. So if you know you want for just catching the younger guys like Luzardo, Braxton, and Edward, and you also want him catching Sandy, there's just you know Stallings has to catch sometimes, you know, regardless of who's the better one. So. That'll be interesting to see whether they just have a you know very monogamous relationship between you know Stallings and that one pitcher, or if they just mix and match depending on you know what they're feeling. So that is something to keep a uh, keep an eye on throughout the rest of the season for sure. 
And I think it's something else when with how Sandy feels Stallings and how it feels with Forza, obviously because the success is all the decision is Sandy's who he probably wants. I guess it more of that that'll be kind of like a personal catcher situation, which which is what we saw second half of last year where he where Stallings specifically only caught Pablo and Sandy. Now he's only catching Sandy. I mean, Stallings is going out there once a week, and then maybe every once in a while he'll catch one of these younger guys, but very rare. And also Fortes being with them in the minor leagues, coming up with almost all of these guys, he knows how to work with these guys. It's 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 match made in heaven for Fortes and all these young pitchers, I would say. So that's how I would put it. And I guess continuing with the defense, how would we assess Jazz's first home stand in center field? I know you've said this many times, Eli, so I'll let Isaac talk about it today. Oh, I just haven't seen as many difficult or non-routine plays to give a, a good judgment. You can tell that the you can tell it's an infielder playing the outfield. A center field is an extremely difficult position to play. It takes years to mentally and physically learn the position. And kudos to him; he's doing a swell job. He hasn't really made any errors. I think his one error was when you know a throw that hit the runner and it went away, and that allowed another runner to advance. So, you know, you can't put too much on that. That happens to the best of them. But, yeah, we'll see, you know, when it becomes late in the game and he's got to make the right throw. He's got to hit the cutoff, man. He's got to throw to the right base. I think that's when we'll be able to judge it a little bit better. But so far, he's made all the routine plays. He's gotten to balls. <laughs> I will say in the Luzardo start, when Chagua surrendered the line drive to Alonzo with the bases loaded in the sixth, and when he, the way he caught that oh, ball, boy, boy, my heart oh, my, was out dude, my throat. My heart, the, yeah. I was like, <laughs> that is not a center fielder catching that ball. But yeah, kudos to him. He caught it. No screw-ups. And yeah, so far you got to be happy with the way he's handled center field. And it, I don't know if you can attribute learning a new position to some of his early offensive struggles. Uh, it was great to see him get a hit against Pablo yesterday. I know he left the game earlier. Left the game earlier. Now we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But yeah, he, he has struggled a little bit offensively. But I, don't, I think he's, he's going to be just just dandy. And the only two other players I want to talk about when it comes to defense, Garrett Cooper, he's looked pretty good, man. And he's not, no, I, I have to give him the shout out because he deserves it. Makes a very nice play in this twin series, makes a couple against the Mets. He's looked good, Eli. What are your thoughts? Uh, I would say, yeah, I'd say that was it the very first game that he had those multiple defensive plays that was yeah. the most memorable <laughs> defensive game I can remember seeing from him. It's very important. We've, noted that he is a pending free agent finally he has all the motivation he needs to perform really well at all aspects of the game um so whether he stays with the marlins beyond this year or another team to to show that he can be uh, uh, durability is the most important thing aside from that when he's on the field to be a multi-dimensional player inside of just a, a line drive hitter as he was last year he, he was by any way you slice it it was a very strong series for him against the mets it was a quiet series for him against the Twins. Um, I've liked to see that he is clearly the getting the lion's share of playing time at first base. I was worried. You know I'm a little skeptical about Yuli and what he's going to be, and based on what they both did just this past year, and even going past larger samples, I think Cooper is the one that deserves to be playing close to every day. Um, just resting him within reason to make sure that he's fresh. Um, and the big question, the defense is nice. Uh, there's only so much value you could add defensively at the first base. The big question for Cooper moving forward is going to be how much over-the-fence power is there. Surprisingly little slugging from him last year. And it is important to get that from the first base position. 
So that's going to be the main thing that I'm looking for is how often he taps into that game power. He spoke in spring training about how that was a priority for him. He recognized that it was important for him to do more in that regard moving forward for him to be an all-star again. I think he's going to have to put up better slugging numbers than he did during the first half of last season. And yeah, that's going to be really important because right now Jorge Soler is doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to that home run department. Nobody else on this team has more than one yet. Cooper had that one very early. And then since then, as I said, it's been very quiet from him. Soler is the only multi-homer guy? Yes. Soler has three. I know Soler has three. I didn't, I thought, I thought someone had two. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Isaac. No, yeah, it's funny how to we were all hell bent on losing Lewin Diaz defensively, and obviously Gary Cooper is the furthest thing from Lewin. And Cooper has looked fantastic; he's made multiple plays to his left, uh, yeah, to his left, to you know rob extra bases in the Met in the Met series. And it was funny that like, the one guy, the one guy at first base who did make an error was a sure fire glove, uh, Yuli Gurriel, who sort of messed up on one of those double play balls in Trevor Rogers' start. So, yeah, you got to definitely be happy with Cooper. He had a really tough series against Minnesota. Uh, you look for him to bounce back in Queens this weekend, though. Yep, and um, I think now we want to talk some Jesus Luzardo. I mean, we saw his first two starts. The first one, just I would say he was good, but the control wasn't there. He wasn't hitting his spots. I mean, he walked a, he walked four at the end of the day. But, he, I mean, still got the win, still held the Mets. It was to one run. Uh, through his outing. So he looks good. There's no other way to say it. And then we look at his start yesterday. We're recording this once again on Thursday. He started on Wednesday. He looked excellent. There was just no other way to say it. Struck out 10, went deep into the game. He was good and only allowed one walk. Isaac, just your thoughts on Luzardo. And, you know, do you th- we, I mentioned this guy could be, I think, a Cy Young candidate, and I'm pretty high on Luzardo for what he – could do this season and what he has already done. It's already, pro- I mean, he's proven me right. And it's proven many of us here, right. Who expected Luzardo to put himself on the board as a possible Cy Young candidate. If there was an award for most delish player in the first seven games, it would be Jesus Luzardo. It would Just, be Jesus you know, his ability to accumulate the swing and miss. And the most impressive part in last night's, and, you know, his 10 strikeout performance was that his pitch count was, you know, it allowed him to get into the seventh inning, something he doesn't, he hasn't been able to do too, too often. He's done it before, but he went through seven at 100 pitches. Like, was it 100 flat, I believe, or was that Sandy's? I don't remember exactly. Sandy's but, was 100 flat. I know that. No, yeah, Sandy's was 100 flat. And Lozardo was just, he was able to keep his pitch count low, get a um, pitch to contact when he needed to. He was striking out Byron Buxton a couple of times. He was just locating his fastball perfectly. And he was using the changeup phenomenally to get Correa a couple of times. It was just fantastic pitching by Jesus Luzardo. He is one of the most fun guys to watch in all of Major League Baseball when he takes them out, for sure. So, wow. If he can, you know, sort of be this type of pitcher, the type of pitcher that was the number, you know, two ranked prospect in all of Major League Baseball when he was with Oakland, put him right behind Sandy, righty-lefty combination, one-two. Wow. You have a pretty lethal top end of the rotation for Miami. And they're all young. They're all controllable. And, you know, Miami's in a good spot. That's something we should give. Came in a little credit for she. He was struggling in the big leagues at the time of the trade, and you know she was confident that Mel and the Marlins could bring out the best of it in him. And he so far so good. Oh, and ninety nine pitch Isaac. 
99 pitches. Sorry, I, I knew it was close to 100. So yeah, look at that. He yeah. could have, you know, even gone the eighth if, if they needed him to. So it's something really gone the eighth. Yeah. Right. So that's something you mm -hmm. you gotta appreciate with someone like him who sort of gets his pitch count high because he's such a strikeout pitcher. That's what was so special about Sandy is he can be a strikeout pitcher and keep his pitch count low. Lizardo, he's showing flashes of that as well. And something that Eli mentioned on the stream is Lizardo's velo. He was hitting 96, 97 at a very consistent rate on his fastball and his sinker a couple of times. He had 95. So, and I, most of his strikeouts were produced, obviously, with this slider, which is just lethal in today's game for him. And he had 20 swings and misses compared to Pablo's 15. So, we're just seeing a base, really a different Lizardo and how, how he's improved. And, you know, health always is the key for him. He, he missed a lot of last season with the – was it an elbow? Forearm injury? strain. Forearm, forearm strain, strain related to missed, elbow thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he missed a good chunk. And, you know, if we could get this Luzardo for, you know, the, a full season, kind of like we saw Pablo last year for a full season, man, this guy, I'm going to use the Carver's term here, but the sky's the <laughs> limit for, for Hazel Luzardo. So <laughs> – <laughs> but I, I, I think the have... limit is higher than with Pablo, to be frank. Like this offseason, um, I didn't want them to trade Pablo. I, I think ideally it would have dipped even lower on the pecking order, but I, I felt it was imperative to keep Lazardo more so than any of the other non-Sandy starters because of this. He is even better this year than last year. Such a complete pitcher at this point. And so um, you, you did touch on how in this first outing there was a little bit of control issues towards the end. But honestly, I thought for most of that outing, he was just as good as so in this good, one. Yeah. With very few uh, exceptions, he's been close to perfect so far on this young season. Uh, with the depth of his pitch mix, with the quality, with the velocity that he has, the improvement of that changeup. Um, and uh, one thing that I noticed in this previous start is that he really has – Focus when it comes to throwing his fastball, he, he's focusing more so on the four seamer instead of the sinker. There's times last year when he was basically alternating one in the, one in the same, but he recognizes, seems to recognize now that the four seamer is the better pitch of the two. And what we saw in this last outing is throwing it up in the zone and nobody has a chance against it. Not lefties, not righties when he throws it up in the zone. Um, and when he pairs it with that changeup that he has. He's getting swings and misses on everything. That's that's what stands out. That's what you don't get, frankly, with anybody else in this rotation is that he gets whiffs on the changeup and the four-seamer and the slider, of course, the slider more so than anything else. That raises the ceiling of a pitcher. That makes you not so worried about the defense behind him. For this particular team, I think everybody, understandably, is still a little nervous about exactly how this defense is going to handle over the course of the season with everybody playing the positions that they're playing. With Lazardo, you have less worry about that than anybody else on the mound. So I feel he is such a great fit for the team at this time. Um, I think even before the season started, there was understandably curiosity about whether he would be a contract extension candidate. Um, and the good news and the bad news is that if he like, keeps on this pace this year and is mostly healthy, then the price to keep him around um, longer than his remaining years of club control as they are, it's going to skyrocket. He's going to command a contract that's a lot bigger than the one they got Sandy for uh, a couple of years ago. But the good problem is that if he performs the way that he does perform this year, uh, he's going to be an all-star. That, that was my expectation for him even coming into the season. And he is going to 
like keep them competitive. And that's that's kind of the formula of getting this team to be significantly better than any of the full season teams that we've seen in recent memory is having a one-two punch at the top of this rotation with Sandy and Lazardo that this organization has not had in a very, very long time to have two guys at the top of the rotation that could be this terrific in most of their outings. It would look really bad with a Luzardo contract bigger than Sandy's, but yeah, you're right. I mean, at his age, the amount of years of Arb left, how good he's been. I mean, if Sandy would have waited just one more year, maybe he would have, he would have definitely skyrocketed over to, he'd have gone over a hundred mil is what I've always said. And Luzardo, I think he'll get around, maybe he'll get more than Sandy, but you know, around maybe 70, 60. That's I think a good number. And I think final touch up I want to do on this homestand is Luis Arise. Luis Arise was really good against the Mets and he was good against the Twins. I know he had a day off in that final game, came in, struck out, which is something he doesn't do as often. But not only did he look good offensively, he made some nice plays on defense. I mean, we really doubted him defensively at the start of the season, thinking he wouldn't be as good as, you know, he wouldn't be good defensively. He wouldn't be solid or consistent. He's done, he, he's proved everyone wrong as of, you know, through the first seven games of the season, Isaac. Yeah, um, he has looked like a natural second baseman. Uh, yeah. SM Marlin so far, he really has surprised me. I, I wasn't too familiar with, you know, his history defensively in Minnesota. But, you know, all the, you know, analytics and the reports said that he was slightly below average or maybe slightly above uh, some years. But he's looked fantastic. And with the bat, just as advertised, even better. Than advertised he's only struck out three times and you know he doesn't whiff and he doesn't chase and when he does chase he puts the ball at play um he's just been phenomenal he even he's hit a, a couple extra base hits he's just been clutch you know i didn't know i know he came in a pinch hit and he did strike out against that tough lefty but boy wow what a breath of fresh air it is for this team to have someone like him they've never had someone like him you know at least since the rebuild began They've never had a, a loose arise type who you know is going to hit 300. At the, you know, he knows he's going to hit in the high 200s or 300s. And he's just going to put up a great at bat. He knows what he's doing. He's a hitter. If there was a definite, you know, if there was a picture of a pure hitter, it'd be him. So it, it's really nice to see him. Obviously, you had to give up Pablo and Jose Salas. But wow, I, I think this was a great get for Kim Ng. And he's controllable as well. And we're speaking of contract extension candidates, he's one as well. He 100% is one as well. I'm trying to look at the slash line right now for Luis Arise, but Eli, if you kind of want to touch up on Arise. My, no, my only note on this, Kevin, is that be careful to say that these guys have proved anything, proved us wrong, proved us right after seven games. That's well, how early we, get, we get our cold takes out there is when things over a larger sample maybe don't prove to be quite as uh, like significant as we thought they were the very first week. So far, so good for him. And same thing with Lizardo. So far, so terrific uh, but that's not totally predictive there's there's always things that could happen when injuries come into play or guys try to play through injuries or when they <coughs> finally play a road game because they've not played a road game yet still a whole lot of complications <laughs> that can be thrown into what we think we know about this team and just to read out the slash line 458 500 500 with a 1.00 ops he has two RBIs, two walks, only struck out three times. He's looked really good so far. So um, I guess final thing we'll touch on with when it comes to the Marlins Major League side, because I want to do touch very quickly on the minor leagues. 
which we spoke about. We don't want to get Isaac's thoughts because, you know, Pensacola starts tomorrow for us at the moment of the recording as well as Beloit, and those are some teams to look out for. Uh, looking ahead, Marlins go to New York to play the Mets. The Mets just got swept by the Brewers, by Brian Anderson and the Brewers, I shall say. And after that, they will be going to Philadelphia, playing the Phillies, who got off to a very tough start to their season. And mm -hmm. then you come back home to play an Arizona Diamondbacks team, which is a sneaky good team. So, Isaac, just your thoughts on the upcoming schedule for Miami. You'll have Sandy Luzardo for Philadelphia. You'll probably have more or less the back end of the rotation for the Arizona series. And then you have the back end for this Mets series. But yeah. you know, down Verlander, I won't see Scherzer this series. So. Yeah, so with the Mets series, I'm you know you're hoping if you're the Marlins, you're hoping to just salvage one of those games. City Fields, their opening week is their home opening series. So the one thing I'm really looking at and be paying a very cl close attention to is Edward Cabrera's second start of the year. You guys see how he bounces back, and this is no walk in the park for Edward Cabrera. This is be in City Field, their home opener, day game. Those you know we've all been to City. Well, Eli and I have been to City Field, and it's, I've been to City it, Field. Okay, you too. So it's been crazy. It is a tough environment to pitch in. And so I really am looking forward to seeing how Edward bounces back against a very, very patient New York Mets offense. So you're looking forward to that. You know, Trevor Rogers also, his second start will, I, mean, I we assume it's going to be Braxton Garrett on Sunday. There hasn't been an official announcement yet. So yeah, you, the hope is you salvage one of those games. You go to Philadelphia. You always feel confident with this Miami team playing Philadelphia for some reason. You know, no matter how good they are, they just seem to have Philly's number. And especially when you have Sandy and Luzardo, you know, the top three. You know, Sandy, Luzardo, Edward for that series. You feel pretty confident. So you go home after that, face the Diamondbacks team. That's okay. You know, they definitely have some fun players for sure. But it's an okay ball club. So you can sort of maybe try and get above 500. You know, and maybe go into go into May over 500, which would be pretty rare for this Marlins ball club. So yeah, there's a sense of optimism, in my opinion, for this team. Because, boy, if the starting pitching can do what they've been doing in the second go-around so far, what Sandy and Lazaro have done, and the offense sort of evens itself out, like I said, they're not going to be last in the league in batting average. They've already hit seven home runs. They hit 11 home runs all of spring training. They've already hit seven. So that's something that's a good, that's, you know, a sign of hope. Uh, yeah, you just hope that things even out on the offensive side and things could go pretty swell for the team. Look at what's going on with Philly and Washington. They're really, you know, down bad in the standings. You just hope Atlanta slows down at some point. Yeah, and something to mention is that Miami did not see Carlos Carrasco last time they faced the Mets here at Miami. Carrasco, although he's had re relatively good success against the Marlins, I mean, mm -hmm. he got blown up by the, by the Brewers. Uh, you know, due to pitch clock violations, I know he struggled with that, so... And, and then you have Tyler McGill, who, although he was pretty damn good against the Marlins on Saturday, I think Miami can find a way to get his number there. So if you feel good about playing the Mets, this would be the series to do that, especially if Trevor bounces back and Braxton looks like Braxton we saw in 2022. You feel pretty damn good. And then, obviously, every time it's a Sandy star, you feel sky high, especially against Matt Strom. I'm not too familiar with the name, um, but – just with that, I think we know the caliber we'll be seeing against for the mind, you know, the caliber of pitching we'll see from him. And then obviously I have Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler. They're 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 two horses going out there and facing the Marlins offense. But. You touched on Braxton Garrett, and so for anybody that's listening, it's not familiar. He does seem to be the near term 
a replacement for Johnny Cueto in the rotation, not yet fully stretched out to be a starter because they had him at the end of spring focus on being a long reliever. Well, we'll see. I'm fascinated to see how he does against the Mets. I think both Isaac and I, I know I was, were in attendance when he pitched at City Field last year. Maybe it was just me that yeah. But he, yeah, he didn't pitch. Uh, he was like doing all right. And then he got blown up in the middle innings of that mm-hmm. outing. And then from that point forward, he ended the season extremely well. Like he was such a bright spot last year, kind of reaching a, a level of performance that we thought the ship had sailed on him being a bona fide major league starting pitcher. And he really looked like one for a big chunk of last season. Uh, there might not be if he is, well, just brings back whatever he was doing last year, which a lot of it was focused on his slider and finally being able to get whiffs against it. And also his fastball velocity being up a little bit where it was consistently sitting in the low nineties instead of maxing out in the low nineties. Then this is a guy that can very capably fill Johnny Cueto's shoes and give them something close to what Cueto did for the White Sox last year on a start by start basis. I'll be fascinated to see how he does in this first outing. Beyond him, you know, the Marlins rotation depth, the immediate available rotation depth is really questionable right now. So if he doesn't um, flip on the switch to where he was last year, or if any of these guys obviously get hurt within the next few weeks before Cueto is back, then this strength of the team becomes a whole lot more questionable. That is going to be the common through line throughout the season is how high uh, level performance can this rotation sustain? We've been talking about it for a while, about for years about the potential for this to be an elite rotation. And my generally optimistic projection for this team is kind of predicated on them making that leap and being beyond just Sandy and Lizardo, having some of these other guys give you league average production, even in the back end spots. So that is what I'm going to be focused on most. It's not a sexy storyline, but I want to see what Braxton looks like once he's back in a starting position. All right, since we're already here, the series doesn't start till tomorrow. Isaac, what's your series prediction for the Mets? Um, I'll say Miami wins two out of three. How about that? I think I don't think anyone's ever going to hit Kodai Senga. Uh, that fourth ball, it's like a changeup and a knuckleball in a one pitch. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, but I think, you know, the second time in a week facing Miguel, Carrasco got blown up. And Carrasco has had success, like you said, Kevin, against the Marlins. But, I, you know, I think I like this lineup against Carrasco. I think they have a chance to win two out of three. A couple lefties on the mound for Miami and Rodgers and Garrett. I think Miami wins two out of three. Something I know we haven't mentioned just really quick. I want to get everyone's thoughts. Jesus Sanchez had, like, a really tough start to the season. And he hasn't been getting all the starts. I assume it's because he struggled. But I, I think, you know, to skip and the organization is doing him sort of a disservice by not starting him as often. In my opinion, he's the one you should try to start first instead of De La Cruz. I know De La Cruz had that huge monumental hit in yesterday's ball game that pretty much gave them the win. But, you know, I, I'm a little disappointed that Jesus Sanchez has been getting such limited playing time early in the season. I think... I I think we all we said this when we when we first, when the Miami Mar- when Miami first acquired De La Cruz that his ceiling would be a fourth outfielder at best and Miami hasn't used him as a fourth outfielder they've been starting this guy over <laughs> Jesus Sanchez well, I believe Jesus should be starting over Sanchez over De La Cruz in my opinion and I think I think it's just the lack of that bats that Sanchez is getting where you're maybe seeing him struggle a little bit I would like to see Miami just put, give him a longer leash out there starting in right or left wherever he's at. 
or even put him as a DH, so you could get some at-bats. I mean, Skip has made this very clear that this DH spot is going to be rotated around amongst the bench. We'll be seeing starters in there, so, I mean, or outfielders that play mostly in the outfield. So I would like to see Sanchez go more playing time. I do agree with you, Isaac. I think this guy has that 20 homer potential, and I'm not going to go on the limb and say he'll get 40, like you said in our predictions. Um video but i definitely think he, he could have some some good success and he showed it in spring training it was pretty good in spring training i mean both dela cruz and sanchez were looking really good out there so i think it's just more more need of consistent playing time for for sanchez and dela cruz just live you know put him as that fourth outfielder because i'll forever remember when skip said he wants to get dela cruz like 500 ad's that was like one of his first press conferences when he when he first was hired and i disagreed with that from the start it's not just about De La Cruz, right? Like a big impact on his playing time is Avi Garcia. How how quickly or how open are they to rather than penciling him in as a starter every single day, giving him particularly against some tough right-handed pitching, like having Sanchez start in place of him rather than competing for with De La Cruz for playing time. Avi, like he had that one big moment that home run that ended up making the entire difference in the sandy win against the twins that gives him that i guess that takes him out of the doghouse briefly overall <laughs> it has not been like a very impressive start for him this year he looks a whole lot like the version of him that we saw last year even with that home run it's a 554 ops this year which is actually a little bit lower than it was last year when he was trending towards being one of the worst signings in marlin's free agent history and when he hit that home run, I noticed it when he hit it. He was so excited to tell Del Cruz that he thought he saw something. That the reason why he <laughs> hit that home run, one could say, is because he knew it was a slider coming. And so when he knew, when he picked up something in Kenta Maeda's delivery to know a pitch was coming, that's when he did something good. And when he doesn't do that, um, you get the other side of Avi, which is like an automatic out. That any way you slice it, uh, it doesn't seem anything is imminent on his role shrinking. But if his performance continues for any length of time being what it is right now, like that's how Sanchez gets into the lineup more often, at least in some, you don't call it a platoon, but occasionally being able to start in place of Avi rather than being him or Dela Cruz. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it hasn't been helped that, you know, his two stars I can remember off the top of my head, against Pablo and against Senga, you know, very tough guys that he's never faced before. So, I, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of games in that New York series that I would have started him, especially with David Peterson starting game two. You know, he maybe he could have been there on opening day against someone like Scherzer. I would have maybe handled it differently, but, hey, they they have their analytics department people and they have the best people in the world telling them what to do. So they must know something well, we don't. Well, yeah, we'll see about that one, but... Um... Isaac, you didn't give Eli's series MVP, by the way. My series MVP is going to be Luis Arise. I wish I could roll my R's. Luis Arise. I think he's going to have eight hits this weekend. So finally, just to wrap it up, Pensacola starts their series, their uh, season tomorrow as well as Beloit. As we speak, Jupiter is currently playing. Carson Milbrandt, the 2022 draft pick, is on the mound um, against the Palm Beach Cardinals. Just your little minor league update. Isaac, any players are you really looking forward to see we, we we did a whole like hour and 15 on this on stream last night so yeah i was watching you guys on stream you guys did a great job great job posting kevin um 
with Daniel DeVivo and Alex Carver. They do excellent stuff on Fish on the Farm, covering all of your Miami Marlins minor league baseball. And yeah, I think the funny thing that stood out is that the two Mesa brothers are in the same outfields uh, for Pensacola. It's just amazing how wrong you know, the team was in 2018 when they signed this player. Uh, how I get the whole industry as well. He was the number one ranked uh, international prospect in all of baseball. And he had, they had a whole media day for him. They were just so excited about this player who just has not hit anything. It was not impacted the baseball offensively whatsoever. You got to be happy that Victor Mesa Jr., you know, at his age starting at, at AA, he's someone that, who knows, if he tears it up, does he get a September call-up? So that's going to be something to look forward to. But, you know, when you look at the Marlins minor league system, it all starts with the pitching, and you got uh, Dax Fulton getting the opening day nod. Yuri Perez was sliding right behind him. Unfortunately, Zach McCambly is hurt. Uh, Jake Eater is hurt. Um, who's the other one that's right? There's another starting pitcher that is recovering from something. Obviously, Max Myers recovering from Tommy John surgery. But yeah, it's uh, the upper level, upper le- upper levels of the minors. I think are the ones that uh, should have a lot of familiar names for most casual fans. And yeah, obviously in Jupiter, you got Khalil, you got a very fun infield as well. So it should be a fun minor league season. It, it always is fun when all four minor league affiliates get started. It's a very fun time. Well, at the lower level, Kevin shouted him out, Carson Milbrandt. Um, uh, forget about the results, it. but his his stuff, he's averaging 95 on his fastball in his first Ooh. start of the season. A teenager, teenager who we barely got to see last year. The Marlins gave him a big bonus to get him out of his college commitment turn pro and uh, a very fascinating start to uh, this season. I would uh, not be surprised if he is somebody that takes a pretty big leap onto the prospect radar this year, um, considering all the starter traits that he has. Uh, I was not expecting um, him to sit 95 and max out at 97 here against low A hitters. That's, uh, that's an exciting development. This is this farm system. We covered it all. We're kind of underwhelmed with what it is right now with a lot of the former top prospects or graduates of the big leagues, a lot of pitchers that we were really excited about currently injured right now. Um, this is a year where you just hope some of these guys pop up, break out and surprise us. So Carson Milbrandt, somebody that could go from being in the back of your mind as like an interesting uh, starting candidate to somebody that uh, who knows if three innings are any indication right now, um, he, Three walks. You look. You look for guys like this that could pop out now that they're under the very capable hands of the Marlins yeah. pitching development team. Yep, and I think that's where we are going to end it. So, fun episode, fifty-one minutes. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. We think we'll have a guest. We're trying to work that out from Eli, from Isaac, myself. We'll see you guys on the next one. Peace out and go fish. We got to end it off right. <laughs> <laughs>